Have you ever had to work on rebuilding trust, whether in a romantic partnership or with a family member or a friend or a coworker? It's harder than it seems, isn't it? Today, we're talking about seven ways to build trust in a relationship, whether you're starting out fresh or rebuilding after a betrayal. We want you to be able to move forward. Trust is something that is vitally important in close relationships, but it can't be forced. If you've ever had difficulties with trust disappearing, trust not growing, or trust being smashed into smithereens, you'll want to listen to today's Baggage Check. Welcome. I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier. It's good to have you here today. This is Baggage Check, mental health talk and advice, with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Baggage Check is not a show about luggage or travel. Incidentally, it is also not a show about the differences between sorbet and sherbet. Sherbet? I always want to say sherbet. Anyway, today I wanted to talk about trust in relationships. It's one of the most crucial foundations of building a strong and nourishing and emotionally intimate connection, and yet it's often one of the things that goes wrong so catastrophically. I've worked with so many people over the years looking to rebuild trust, looking to grow back what once was there, or just if they're dating somebody new, for instance, looking to just start with building trust and not knowing how fast to let it develop. Sometimes people err on the side of overcaution, and then other times people trust too early. Of course, it takes far less time to lose trust or wreck trust than to build it. The rebuilding of trust really takes patience, just as establishing trust in the first place does. But it can be done even after trust is lost, if both people are motivated, if you're willing to put in the effort. That's what makes the difference. Over the years, I've worked with so many people who say, can I build trust back? How? I've had this betrayal and I just don't know where to begin. I don't know if I can ever feel the same way about the person. I don't know if I'll ever be able to not be skeptical or suspicious. Well, I've got a roadmap for you if this is the case. So let's start with seven things to keep in mind if you're looking to build or rebuild trust in any kind of relationship. Now, all of these are going to work in a mutual way. In other words, let's say you were the one who was betrayed. These techniques are things that the person who betrayed you needs to be on board with doing, but you also have to keep up the trust on your end. I've seen many relationships where somebody betrays the trust and so then the other person does it in turn because it feels like already all is lost. So think of all seven of these tips as behaviors that both of you should be engaged in. Number one, say what you mean and mean what you say. This is a key part of having integrity as a human being, as a neighbor, as a coworker, as a spouse, as a political candidate. Even as young children, we pick up very quickly on the clues that somebody is saying things that aren't really true. When our dad always threatens that we'll have to leave the restaurant if we keep misbehaving, but we know in reality that would be more of a pain in the neck for him than for us. The sister who always promises to share her cookie but invariably eats the whole thing anyway. As kids, we pick up on this. And so we start to develop an instinct of self-protection. 
when somebody doesn't do what they say they will, we adjust our behavior and expectations accordingly. It's like the boy who cried wolf. We're going to trust the person just a little bit less. So if you're looking to increase your trust within a relationship, you've got to stop saying things that you won't follow through on or that don't represent your actual feelings. Even what seems like minor lies when they're chronic, they basically tell the other person that they shouldn't trust what comes out of your mouth. Because arguably, if you're constantly lying about the little stuff when you don't necessarily need to, it's going to make it seem like you'd be even more motivated to lie about the big stuff when the stakes are higher. And it seems to have already come more easily for you. Number two, be vulnerable. Gradually. We have different levels of relationships with people, right? Two people who have kind of distantly worked together for two decades. They just chat about the weather. They never need to really rely on each other. It's just idle small talk. They don't need to be vulnerable with each other. But what about two coworkers who've worked together for six months and are constantly in the trenches with each other, coming to need each other desperately for that 9 p.m. email to be returned, or to look over each other's work in a supportive way or stand up for each other against a difficult boss? They've developed a bond with each other that's much tighter than a couple of decades of small talk, and it's because they've had to be vulnerable with each other. They have to rely on each other to come through or else they'll face real danger. In relationships that we choose in our personal lives, we also build trust through vulnerability. Some of this comes automatically with daily interactions that happen over time, like knowing that if the person says that they're going to pick us up at the airport, they'll be there. Or feeling safe that the first time that we have dinner at a person's house who we're dating, that it's not going to contain the allergen that they know will send us into anaphylaxis. But emotional vulnerability is important as well. Building trust takes a willingness to open yourself up to the potential risk of hurt. Talking about something embarrassing from your past, letting somebody in on your fears, showing parts of yourself that you don't think are the most attractive parts and that you wouldn't necessarily show in a first date. Trust is built when our partners have the opportunity to let us down or hurt us And they don't. There's inherent risk built in this. It's like those cliched trust exercises that people are forced to do in the group work retreats that they absolutely abhor. The whole idea of why a trust fall is meaningful is because there is the potential for you to fall flat on your head. So there is risk in vulnerability. There's risk in what's needed to build trust. And that's why we do these things gradually. We show our vulnerability gradually to still protect ourselves a little bit. We step out of our comfort zone just a little bit at a time. But incrementally, it builds up a little bit at a time. And it all can accumulate into a very meaningful foundation. Number three, remember respect. One of the most lasting ways that a partner can emotionally hurt us is by belittling us or making us feel less than or viewing us with contempt or condescension instead of respect. Think of a basic level of respect as the common denominator in any relationship, whether between a cashier and a customer or a mother and a daughter. And the more emotionally intimate your relationship, the more important that keeping up that basic level of respect becomes. But here's the thing. When we're tightly intertwined with somebody, they likely will see us at our worst. 
which can be positive in terms of being vulnerable, like we just talked about. But it also might mean slipping up and treating the other person badly. They've seen us at our absolutely least patient and most irritable, and they've seen us yell at them or not be as considerate as we would normally be. We lash out. You see this all the time with people who say, you would never say that to your coworker or your neighbor, so why are you saying it to me? Because they have their best foot forward with those other people where there is not as much trust and intimacy. Or the kid who behaves really well at school, but when they come home, they let it all hang out because they know their parents will love them anyway, in a way that maybe the principal will not. But the damage of disrespect is arguably even more catastrophic over time if we're disrespecting the people that we love and are close with. So of course, this doesn't mean that you need to be formal with your partner or your loved ones all the time. But it does mean that every time you do something that's disrespectful or that violates their dignity or that demeans them, you harm your connection a little bit. And it can be repaired, but not easily. Those dings can accumulate. So when you try to be respectful, you build trust because you're building safety and you're letting the other person know that you have their interests at heart and their emotional health as well. Number four, give the benefit of the doubt. Let's say you've had a doctor for 10 years that you really respect and that you've grown to trust. Now compare how you feel about that doctor's opinion Versus the opinion of a doctor that you've never seen before and that you know nothing about. While you may be willing to rely on the medical credentials of both or the professional reputation of both, chances are you'll feel far more comfortable and secure with the one that you've developed trust with over time. And in fact, that doctor might be able to make some difficult medical news easier for you to swallow because you're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt given your trust and your history together. Once again, this is true in personal relationships too. What goes hand in hand with trust is setting aside your doubts, even if temporarily, and letting the person come through for you, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Now, when trust has been broken in a relationship and you're trying to rebuild, of course, it might not make sense to set aside all doubt at once. Like if you've been stung by substance abuse or financial infidelity or sexual infidelity, once bitten, twice shy, we know that that phrase exists for a reason. And you've got to maybe maintain a certain level of checking up on somebody to protect yourself from further harm. But over time, if you ever help to truly rebuild trust, you must be willing to string together some moments of letting that doubt go to the side or at least suspending the doubt temporarily and seeing if the person comes through for you, giving them the opportunity to come through for you. Just like the kid never learns to ride the bike if you don't let go. Of course, if they let you down again, then it's them that's sabotaging the trust building at that point. Number five, express your feelings in a functional way, especially when those feelings are hard. Emotional intimacy That comes in part from knowing that you can express your feelings to someone and that they'll still care about you, that they'll not dismiss you out of hand, that they'll be willing to listen. It means that you know that they'll make time to understand your viewpoint and not shut it down. This entails the maturity of being able to talk about difficult feelings without escalating, 
without making things worse and going into shouting or verbally attacking or closing down the conversation. Of course, it's very easy to have a non-emotionally intimate relationship where everyone pretends that everything is fine all the time. How's the weather? Oh, it's fine. Or it's crazy. And neither person is actually letting the other person in because the relationship is superficial enough that it's not the forum for difficult or awkward feelings or thoughts. They don't need trust in that relationship, trust for emotional protection. But that's not what we're talking about today, is it? The people that you see in the elevator and comment on how smoky it is outside. Work on ways to talk about difficult feelings that feel like collaboration, that feel supportive and helpful and respectful. Learn to discuss challenging emotions in ways that don't automatically jump to feeling threatened or starting a conflict. Use those I statements. Make it feel safe to express difficult emotions, even emotions that you wish the other person wasn't having or that you wish you yourself weren't having or that you're ashamed of. Many of us have taken cues from our parents about how to talk or not talk about tough things, and sometimes those patterns can stunt us, honestly. So if you want to build trust with somebody, you've got to give them the opportunity to make the connection to the real you with an honest discussion of feelings. Number six, take a risk together. So we talked about vulnerability in terms of showing your true self or revealing difficult or complicated emotions. But what about just inducing some arousal together in a fear-inducing situation that isn't just one-sided? And no, I'm not talking about sexual arousal, but there was a very, very famous study in 1973 by Dutton and Aaron that showed that a bit of fear-inducing arousal can increase sexual attraction. But even in a platonic relationship, when both of you are outside of your comfort zone with the possibility of reward after risk, it's like two comrades being in the trenches together. Trust builds automatically. There's a reason why people come out of harrowing experiences with a deeper bond if they've gone through it together. And no, I'm not saying you should seek out a harrowing experience together that actually represents real risk or real danger. But for instance, if you're looking to rebuild trust in a friendship or a romantic relationship, something like rock climbing together in a safe way can be helpful. And then finally, number seven, Be willing to give as well as receive. Reciprocity is so important to any relationship. We could talk about this with friendships ad nauseum. We'll have episodes in the future on the mental and emotional load of romantic partnerships and family relationships where somebody feels put upon because the giving and receiving are out of balance. This doesn't have to be perfectly 50-50, but what does have to be true, at least in the general sense, is that both people in the relationship feel comfortable with the split and that it feels balanced. In a truly close emotional partnership, the balance might shift every once in a while, and that's okay. One person leans on the other more because they need it, and there's no bean counting necessary. Because when there's trust you know that you won't end up out of balance. You don't need to count beans. So a significant part of building trust is to let this process happen. Virtually everybody understands that they're not supposed to always take more than give. But what happens when you don't even let your partner or your friend give? You always want to be the giver. Well, you deny them the ability to start building this reciprocity. 
So zoom out, think about the balance, and be willing to give and receive. And if you're willing to give just a little bit more, and your partner or your friend or your family member is as well, then you create a comfortable and caring cushion where both of you have a little bit of a safeguard against feeling undervalued or underappreciated. So some of these tips today really could apply to any kind of relationships. And they don't even have to just apply to building trust. They can apply to building the foundation of connection with people. Of course, trust is mixed in with all of that. If you have thoughts on any of this, as always, let me know. Thanks for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this has been Baggage Check with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Join us on Instagram at Baggage Check Podcast. Give us your take and opinions on topics and guests. And you know you've got that friend who listens to like 17 podcasts. We'd love it if you told them where to find us. Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Daniel Merity, and my studio security, it's Buster the Dog. Until next time, take good care.